They were training some of the world's brightest and best in the entrepreneurial innovation space. They'd come up with all these great ideas, but they would let themselves down around the character space so people wouldn't trust them and go with the ideas. Pete Winter has worked in a wide range of leadership roles and environments, from the corporate space to sport to church. It was evident to see the wisdom and insight Pete has gained due to the breadth and depth of his experience. Combining this with his passion for seeing people's lives change in a very real way was an inspiration and a reminder to always keep our why clear and front of mind. There's so much richness in this episode and I know you're going to enjoy it. So please do leave a review, let me know your thoughts and share with others. Welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast and today I have a very special guest and Mr. Pete Winter with me. Welcome Pete. Dan, it's great to be with you. Um, Tell us yeah. about those gravelly tones. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of getting wet and moving to winter, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so I'm carrying a bit of cough and cold today. So in the wonderful world of we now live in, I'm working from home. And, uh, um, and, and thankfully, this is over a recording, isn't it? So you're not going to catch anything from me. <laughs> oh, brilliant. There we go. I hope not. So, Pete, I mean, you know, knowing a bit about you and, and, and knowing many, many people that know you, a day in the life of Pete Winter seems quite an interesting day. So would you give our <laughs> listeners the kind of little bit of insight into what a typical day in the life of Pete looks like? Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, it's a huge variety and I really enjoy that. Um, I, quite, I quite enjoy the kind of the juggle of like doing a number of things and, and kind of holding those. Some people that would just, you know, it's not their, not their world at all. Um, but I quite enjoy sort of having my head in a number of things. I guess I'm a bit entrepreneurial, um, like innovation, that kind of stuff. So, so most days um, you know, there is kind of certain set things, but there's also movement as well. Um, I'll start every day, you know, early and try to get up before our kids. Um, I'm sort of pretty wired as an introvert so um, um although most people think i'm an extrovert because i'm often in front of people a lot but basically if i don't start the day on my own i'm not going to be operating well um but i spend that time as well so i'll get up and i'll pray um i'll spend some time you know just get setting my day um and then the children will get up and off we go so it's really important to me to start every day like that um that is absolutely essential um and then there are certain routines um that i put into my into my across my week which helps with that juggle. So when there's so much variety, I think that it does, it's important to have a few building blocks. So for example, every Monday morning, I'll have um, a couple of hours of bandwidth where I'm not with anyone, but I'm just setting up my week. Every Wednesday afternoon, um, almost always, I'm doing talk and session prep for leadership consultancy or um, talks or at seminars, whatever I'm doing. Um, every Friday is off, so I have a Friday off. So I sort of look at, I don't just look at it each day, I look across a week, make sure there's certain boulders in place and then that allows me to be really mobile. And I, I fill my days probably too full with lots of people. So a typical day, I'll be seeing seven or eight different people in one-to-one meetings or in team meetings. You know, obviously many more people when it's a team in order to kind of progress all the different elements of things that we're working on. I love that diversity, but also I love the fact that you've got those um, rhythms in there, which is really good. And I want to talk a little bit more about that later. But when yeah. you've kind of given us, you know, really good insight into what I think a good leadership week looks like. But tell us a little bit about your sort of leadership journey so far, because again, loads of diversity, you know, both in terms of your own development as a leader, but also the kind of leadership environments you find yourself in. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I've, you know, I've learned a lot as I go, and I'm actually a big believer in sort of laying track as you go. You know, that sense of don't 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 wait until you're fully equipped and you think you're able to do this now because you've got all the qualifications. Just keep stepping forward, keep moving. And of course, it's great. To, I'm not I'm not kind of doing education down or anything. It's great to get those things, but actually, it's I think it's really important to be active and learning. And that's how I learned it, I suppose. I always had leadership roles growing up. I was, you know, got chosen to be the captain of the team and sports and stuff. And I was definitely not the best sports person. But for some reason, you know, teachers identified me as someone who would motivate on the field, whether that was with hockey or rugby and things like that. Um, and then and then I think I had a key pivotal moment when I was about 14, went to a new school. And um, for me at that moment as well, faith really came alive and um something suddenly happened you know I'd had a kind of Christian background but it wasn't fully alive really and it was kind of dormant and I wasn't that interested and I wasn't I didn't think it I just didn't see that I didn't join the dots for day-to-day life at all and then suddenly when I was 14 that all changed and what happened after that within about two weeks I was suddenly thrust into leading different contexts I think you know a, a bigger hope had come alive in me faith had come alive and I was suddenly invited by other people who are only a few years older than me to start leading things. And so suddenly I found myself leading a meeting or leading a small group or leading. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, but I was learning as I was going. I think a helpful thing in that process was I, I began as well at that same time beginning to journal, which I don't, somebody must have told me to do that. I don't know who told me to do that, but it's been a practice I've done ever since. Um, I'm, I'm less disciplined about it now, partly because life is fuller and particularly with three kids at home, you know, you can't find the slots to think and be reflective all the time. But I found that reflective process really important even through my teenage years. And I can look back now and I read things of me just processing and reflecting on all that I was learning. And before I knew it, I was leading more and more, ended up getting invited to, to do like an internship in a church, which again, sort of, it's not something I'd really considered. I just found myself invited in. And I, I'm so thankful for lots of people who have invited me in again and again in my life, um, which is what I try to do now. I'm, I'm always trying to open doors for people and just invite them into possibility, invite them into opportunity. And that opportunity for me opened up basically getting involved in youth ministry and uh, working with a lot of teenagers. I loved it. I actually would go as far as saying I felt a real sense of purpose and calling into that. There was something bigger that I had to step towards. And through that process, I ended up becoming a teacher. And of course, teaching is a brilliant foundation to leadership because you are basically standing in front of multiple classes, multiple times a day, having to think on your feet as well as prepare. And it is like intense respect to all the teachers listening I loved it it was brilliant and stretching um, but I knew eventually I would be actually le- my place of leadership would be within the church um, and I ended up becoming a youth pastor for a church just outside London in Chorleywood and again I didn't know what I was doing but I laid tracks and went and we saw incredible growth that led to you know an organization called One Life which is all about young leaders we can talk about that if you want to um, that emerged at that time and I found myself not only having to lead, but also beginning to teach leadership. And um, that really started kicking in about 15 years ago. And as I just started doing that, more and more emerged. There was momentum around a number of things. And I got opportunities to lead in all kinds of contexts and all kinds of places and began getting invited into leadership consultancy as well. So I suddenly found myself going to companies in like BMW or um, businesses and um, training contexts as well. And I, that was brilliant because I was, I was doing kind of leadership consultancy in all kinds of companies and businesses whilst also having to lead within the church. Um, and long story short, I ended up also becoming a vicar. So I'm now the vicar of St. Paul's Hammersmith, which is a big church in London. Everyone drives past it if you're coming in from the West. It's just by the Apollo. You'll see the spire. 
And um, it's an amazing opportunity to be leading a community here whilst also continuing to do leadership consultancy um, and coaching and things like that, uh, which is a big passion of mine. So I've learned a lot, um, been through lots of experiences, led in lots of church and business contexts with multiple and diverse different outputs and teams. Um, And it's been fascinating. And I'm loving the journey and the adventure that I'm on even now. Tell us a little bit about One Life. And was that a real kind of momentum grower and a real kind of builder in your leadership life? Oh, yeah, hugely, you know, because that was it. That all happened by accident. You know, I wish I could say you right. know, I'd had this you know, big vision and I stepped bit by bit towards founding One Life, which is a sort of One Life trains and equips young leaders, by which we mean sort of 14 to 21 year olds all over the UK and beyond now. But it, it was all by accident. And again, that's I, th- I think sometimes, you know, things begin to happen around us. And if you notice what's going on, you know, again, I think leaders, leaders need to be excellent noticers. You know, you're noticing and reading things that are going on all around you, not just in people, because obviously leadership is hugely about people and relationship and that the space between relationship. But it, it's also like, you know, what what what's happening around you that is, again, opening doors, creating opportunity. And we just saw huge momentum in the, the youth work that I was doing. And, um, you know, it started relatively small, a dozen or two dozen young people knocking around. And then suddenly it grew and grew and grew. And suddenly we had sort of two, 300 young people involved in all that was going on. And the whole thing was led by teenagers. So I found myself not just kind of being a youth worker who was like the one standing at the front the whole time and running the whole thing. What I found myself doing was coaching other people to do it and realized that that was the way you multiply something. You know, if I tried to do it all myself, the youth group might have grown to 70 or 80 and I would have been maxed out with trying to hold it all. But what I was doing was investing deeply in mentoring and coaching emerging young leaders. And of course, then they were running everything, which meant that the whole thing could multiply. And we sort of did that by accident. Again, I didn't do that really by design. I did that because that's what happened to me as a 14-year-old. So as a 14-year-old, you know, I'd had that moment of, you know, waking up to faith, realizing something, and someone had said, right, you need to make it happen. And I was like, okay. So when I became a youth minister, all I knew was that. So I just thought, right, you need to make it happen. And then just resourcing other people. And I think that whole area of raising up other leaders actually is one of the most important jobs of, the, of any leader. You know, if you arrive in a role or a position, whether, whether it's, you know, given to you, you take hold of it, or whether you're not even in it, but you're just influencing in an organization or wherever you work, one of your chief, chief roles is to release other people into stuff. And that is the best way to then multiply and, and build out, you know, and there are various skills involved in that. But essentially, that's what happened with the youth stuff. And before I knew it, there were lots of other churches and organizations and youth organizations coming saying how have you done that how have you grown that and how have you raised up young leaders and the answer was i don't really know but if you want to come to one of our young leaders retreats then come along um and so one of the you know suddenly one of those young leaders retreats turned into a conference of 120 150 people and it was just ones and twos you know somebody came from scotland another person came in from europe and some people came up from the southwest and others came from manchester and and it was amazing, an amazing moment. And I think that sparked a, there's something here, we need to cultivate it. And I had a number of kind of, I guess, wiser, uh, wiser, older leaders around me who were going, Pete, something's happening here. You need to pay attention, notice this. And I think you need to step into that space. And St. Andrew's Chorley Word is an amazing church. Um, for those of, you know, some in the church world will know of it because you've come across Soul Survivor or New Wine. Those, those networks all birthed out of that church. And so, you know, there were a lot of the people in the church who had all helped to birth those networks who were turning around saying, this is another one, let's do it. And so, you know, I remember that I remember a meeting, you know, gathering together, you know, some of the key leaders of the church. And I went in and said, this is going on with young leaders all over the country. What do we do about it? And by the end of the meeting, 
they basically said, right, you need to do it. We're going to give you 18 months of funding for your salary. Can you raise more funding for budget? And can you help us recruit a new youth pastor and, and all of that? And, you know, I walked out of that meeting and realized I was out of a job from youth work, which actually I found I was I grieved because I loved it. But there was this new exciting adventure and off we went. And actually the, the stories of those first few months are extraordinary. How money came in, resources came in. The next day a friend phoned and said, I've heard this is happening. I'm leaving my job and I'm going to come and work for you full time. And I was like, you, you can't do that. I haven't got salary, no budget. He says, no, don't worry about it. I just know that this is the right thing. So I'm going to do it. And he worked for free for a whole year. And just the provision came in through that whole year. He was better off that year than when we started paying him. Um, which is hilarious. And he, he was a key part, Matt McCauley, his name was, was a key part of building those early years of One Life. And bit by bit, we built out this brand new youth organization that's now 15 years old, very established and um, doing amazing work. Um, I'm still involved on the, on the kind of trustees there. One of the things I love about that story, there's so much to love, but one of the things I love is that as you're empowering others and walking in your gift and a passion to empower the next generation, St. Andrew's surely would, they're empowering you and your team. So there's like this yeah. kind of generational kind of release and empowering going on because as much as you say, um, you know, as a leader, empowering others is important, it's also extremely hard. And actually, being honest, in my experience, not done as frequently or as well as it could be. So just to hear that story, I yeah. think is really encouraging. So that yeah. kind of empowering on multiple levels and that kind of sense of... Yeah. God's doing something. How do we make it work? How can we how can we push it forward rather than control it or hold it back or or kind of push it to the yeah. side? How can we push it forward? So I love that. A quick aside on that. I think so much of leadership is is doing that piece because so many people arrive at leadership and then they think, great, I finally got into the role I've dreamed of. I'm going to hold it to myself now. But you become the bottleneck and you stop the very thing that you're there to do because you begin to possess or hold the thing that you're doing rather than saying, okay, how do I multiply and give this away? And I think, you know, you're right, it's really challenging. But I've watched it again and again in organisations and in faith-based places where, yeah, leaders can just sort of hold something to themselves and it just basically stops the momentum. And the, the very thing they wanted dies because they didn't actually multiply it. And that that's the biggest challenge. And I understand it because, again, in our own sort of human nature, we we sort of, there's a little bit of us that wants to kind of hold it or wants to be the person who's doing it or wants to be the name that's attached to it. We've just got to give that away. You've got to got to keep multiplying it, and then the whole thing grows and increases. And that that statement you just made there, I dare to say, is one of the reasons why God trusts you with so much leadership, because most leaders really struggle with that um, empowering, actually releasing. We we want to we want to give people things to do, but not the authority to do it. Or we're very good at yeah. sort of helping people to do the things that we want, but actually empowering them into the things that God has for them is a different level of leadership. So. Absolutely yeah. love that. Now, as much as I'd love to talk about that, there's something else I love as well, which is rugby. I'm passionate about rugby. Yeah. I helped to coach it. And I know that you've had a lot of involvement with Gloucester Rugby. So tell us a little bit about, you know, yeah. we've talked about clergy, we've talked about corporate, we've talked about, you know, um, not-for-profit. Now we're talking about rugby. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's a sort of, bit of a dream come true. I love, like you, I love the sort of sporting world. And um, I've had the privilege of working with a number of kind of, yeah, uh, professional athletes, people who are really at the top of their game and particularly through Gloucester got the opportunity to work with you know lots of international players you know South Africa England Wales different people who were who are based at Gloucester those rugby fans out there you know one thing led to another was that as well so I was I was um 
got to know Johan Ackerman, who was the head coach at Gloucester for a few years, did a you know, great job, was brilliant. And he, he ended up doing a, coming to a session that I was doing about character here in London. Um, and after the session, he was like, uh, can we get more of this? We need more of this in sport. Um, and, you know, and essentially, you've got, you know, in a rugby club, you've got a whole bunch of, in that rugby club, guys. I was working with the men's team, the, the senior team whole bunch of guys who are like brilliant at the top of their, you know, they're at the top of their game. They're international players. They are, you know, superstars at what they do. And I think he was saying, but I want to equip them for life, not just for the, field, the rugby field. And I want to equip them to be role models. And I, and what they, what I want to give more of is the thinking around how do they do family well? How do they do character well? How do they um, essentially become the role models that they are actually are um, on and off the field? And the reality and knowing that actually the importance of character is huge, even in the rugby world, because, um, you know, if, if you've got an elite athlete who turns up on match day, but but the world behind them is struggling or falling apart because of other decisions that are going on, they're not going to perform well on the field. So this kind of holistic view of coaching and development and training. And so I was invited and became the sort of leadership coach for Gloucester for a season before COVID, which I just loved. And it was just brilliant getting involved there and seeing seeing the output of leadership that, you know, I would do in a corporate space or a church space outplayed in a in the dressing room of a rugby team was fascinating and you know all the same issues you hit all the same things but actually that what I loved about it was it was such measurable output so you know you'd be able to see the impact of what was going on in the measurable results of the gameplay you know and and working with different different players in in their mindset their mental performance and how that played out with their actual game you know watching that from the dugout watching that observing it at the halftime talks in the changing rooms, being around the club and helping strengthen the sense of character that led to better performance and output. And we had a you know, great season. It was really good. And I continue to be involved now with just doing kind of coaching for some of the players, one-to-one stuff and things like that. Um, the rugby world's found it hard at the moment. You'll know in the press that Worcester's gone, yeah. Wasps have gone. Um, and so I'm not on contract with Gloucester anymore because I was a contractor coming in and they've sort of cut right back on all those things since COVID as they all, as the, all the premiership clubs tried to recover. But yeah, I still do work with some of the players privately and stuff, which I, yeah, as I say, I love. How, how did they receive that? It's interesting because you go into a high performance <clears throat> environment and you're bringing yeah. kind of um, something which some would maybe more naturally understand, but others have been you know been coached their whole lives to perform well to you know be top of their game to know how to the 80 minutes on the pitch it's all about giving it everything mm. but you're talking yeah. to them about life off the pitch how yeah. did they receive that was it mixed reviews did were they open because that must have been quite a, an interesting environment quite a diverse environment to go into yeah i would say 95% of them received it really brilliantly and you know some household rugby names that you would know i won't sort of shout out names right now but you know international players you know, I was really impressed by the way they engaged and they wanted to learn and wanted to grow. They come with questions. And I think there is this sign of, and I, I, would, I would say I observe this everywhere, that there's this like longing to, people want to live life better. They want to get a, a fullness from life and they want to understand things more. So if you can communicate in a way that gives them access points to that, opens, opens up windows of understanding, then they go after it. Um, there was definitely, you know, probably five, ten percent of them that were a bit like, I just want to get on the field or I want to get down to the gym. Why are you talking to me about character? But, you know, interestingly, those were those actually provoked some of the most interesting conversations at times where, um, you know, where they, they would slowly kind of warm to the idea of this is really important. But I think, you know, teaching, it was good for me as well. I had to work really hard at thinking out how am I going to teach and do leadership coaching in both workshop settings and one-to-one to people who might not be wanting that. They just want to play the game and smash smash their next opponent. 
how am I going to access that? And so it really stretched me as a coach as to how I was going to do that. And and I you know I remember one time you know in the early days just trying to think how can I justify the importance of them working on their character, you know. And I came up with various models that would help them understand that. I won't go through a whole model now, but one one of the key elements of that was that actually if we're going to lead at a higher level, we have to build trust, and the ability to build trust is built in our character. So if I know that you're a person of integrity or I know that I have a sense of respect for you as a person, then I'm going to trust you more. If I trust you more, I'm going to listen more to what you say. If I listen more to what you say, I'm going to, you're going to be a better influence and leader. And so particularly for the leadership group at Gloucester at that time, that was an important realization for them that the reason we were looking at who they were and doing self-awareness and self-analysis of their own character had a direct impact on their ability to influence in the times of pressure on a rugby field. So in that last 10 minutes and you're 10 points behind, there needs to be not a single question in any one of those players about whether they trust the integrity of your decision and the kind of player that you are if you're going to go out on a limb and ask them to do something a bit radical in those last 10 minutes. And that all those marginal gains, um, Clive Woodward named it when he worked with um, England in 2003. I don't think that was his, I don't think he coined that phrase, but it's those marginal gains and helping them recognise that actually the difference between good and great or the difference between kind of getting to excellence is often in those marginal gains, the very, very small things. And working on your character gives you a marginal gain around the ability to build trust and influence. So, you know, having to really justify and try and work out why are these things important? I know they are, but having to work at the language for those was really important in accessing those guys and helping develop them. And I, I loved some of the conversations that came out of it. And I was so fascinated by the way they made links between what was going on on the rugby field and their match play and what was going on in their family lives. And again, beginning to work at that, I just loved watching them wake up to the reality that they could be better men. And they could be greater role models. And that had a, that really mattered to their rugby career, as well as their wives or their partners or whatever was going on. That's fantastic. If you're a rugby team listening to this, get Pete Winter back on contract. <laughs> I think that's so needed. And, and I'm going to kind of just take that question a step further, but sort of drill out. And you've kind of, I think you've answered some keys, but in your experience, what are some of the leadership keys that have had the most impact in people's lives across the board. Now you've spoken a lot about character and yeah. absolutely 100% the, the probably the biggest tick in the box but you know having talked a little bit about teaching and working with young people and and clergy and Gloucester rugby are there some threads of leadership keys or principles that have gone across the board that you think I know there's some keys there that really impact people's lives. Yeah, I mean, well, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm going to bang on about it to so make sure we get it get it home to anyone who's listening. But, you know, I just go on and on and on about character because it's, it is absolutely foundational. It's fundamental to good leadership and yet very few places engage with it. So, you know, when we think about leadership development, we'll often talk about competencies, you know, what's going on. We'll often talk about sometimes chemistry, which is, you know, I, I would interpret that as the relational and social chemistry, you know, the, the relational intelligence, emotional intelligence, and then the really good places that train in leadership will engage with character, but lots don't. So I've also had the opportunity of lecturing in you know, a top university right here in London. And one of the reasons I was invited to come into there was because they were recognizing they were training some of the world's brightest and best in the entrepreneurial innovation space to become tomorrow's inventors of business and, and, and social transformation, all that. But they were equipping them with all the competencies to do that, but recognizing that there was an issue in the character space that they'd come up with all these great ideas, but they would let themselves down around the character space so people wouldn't trust them and go with the ideas. And so that invitation to speak into character comes again and again. 
And, you know, there are lots of ways of developing character, the psychology of character, how we understand it. But I think one of the keys that I would encourage everyone listening to is really delving deep into self-awareness. And some people resist that because they think, oh, isn't this just like navel gazing? You know, I don't want to understand the nuances of how I operate and how I work. And, you know, I'm fed up with MBTI, the Myers-Briggs things, or all these psycho, you know, psychoanalysis. We get a new different kind of test every week that tells me a new thing. And don't they all say the same thing in the end anyway? And all this sort of stuff. I sometimes have to battle against the attitude in people, probably because they've actually been taught it badly. And, and I've seen Myers-Briggs done badly, where people feel boxed and hemmed in and defined and all these things. But actually, when you teach self-awareness really well, and when you use psychology really well to develop self-awareness, it's like lights go on in people. And the best bit about self-awareness is not just that I get to know myself more, and actually that's where leadership starts. How do I lead myself really effectively? But actually, when I understand myself more, it opens my eyes to understanding many other people more. You begin to picture and understand the diversity of approaches and then begin to respect it more. So you become far more aware of your own preferences and then become more capable at understanding other people's preferences. And if you don't become more capable at that, then you again, you hinder your leadership development because you don't understand the, the qualities of other people or the abilities of other people that you don't have. And therefore, it's a blind spot to you. It's a, it's a grid that you don't operate out of. The best leaders um, draw the best out of themselves and the best out of people around them. And self-awareness and the tools that do that and the character work that you need to do to understand yourself fully enables you to draw the best out of other people. So ultimately, what you're training people to do when you do self-awareness work, which requires some psychology, character development, you're basically training them to draw the gold out of themselves and the gold out of those around them. You're mining for gold everywhere you go. And that's what enables people to lead at a higher level. So that, that would be one of the traits, I think, you know, absolutely essential. And people have to delve into that. And that's a lifetime of exploration. There's things I learn about myself now, having been in this world of leadership consultancy for two decades now, really. There's still things I discover about myself. And it's like, like, ah, that's why. And that's why that relationship broke down. And that's why ultimately we lost that contract because... There was a relational discord that I didn't notice or understand, but now I, I understand what the operating factors were behind that, what the motivations were in that person that I totally misunderstood, et cetera, et cetera. What I love is the dynamic way you're describing character. I think, you know, from a Christian perspective, character is something that's, you know, sometimes spoken about, but it's spoken about in a, either in a very nuanced way, like it's something that just comes from God or just comes from the word or or in a kind of um, almost linked to behavior you know so if you've got good character you behave a certain way which is an element of truth in that but what I love is the dynamic way you're describing character and the way that it grows and develops and that yeah. self-understanding self-awareness is a lifelong journey it's a journey of discovery and, and maturity and development which I think is absolutely spot on just another quick side note, when we recruit people here at The Wonderful Group, we always recruit on the three C's, competency, chemistry and character. Mm -hmm. One of the, the, the hardest C to analyse, if that's the right word, particularly yeah. interview stages, character. How do you yeah. really get to know how someone is under pressure? How do you really get to know what their values mean to them when they're tested? How do you really get to know what they stand for, if you metaphorically put a gun to the head, would they really stand for what they said they stand for and yeah. all of those things? And um, I would probably go as far to say that in most of my business life, as well as ministry and leadership life, most of my business life, character has been the single most defining factor between success or failure, whether it's in an employee-employer role, whether that's in a relationship, client 
agency relationship, yeah. whether that's in a, you know, whatever relationship it might be, character has been the almost a defining factor. I mean, is that, would you agree? Is that something yeah. you've seen? Totally. Yeah, totally agree. And I've seen that across all sectors. And again, in the, you know, going back to the rugby world, I've seen it there where, where you've got um, incredibly gifted players, but team integration becomes difficult because of character. And so team integration, you know, and again, that's the beauty, isn't it? When you get a World Cup winning side, often what's gone on behind the scenes there is obviously the competence of, of being able to do the actual, you know, the outworking of that sport. But actually, it's the chemistry between the players and the chemistry between the players is often defined by the characters in that. So if you're misfiring around the character piece, the team dynamic gets really upset and out of kilter. So you could have all of the best players in the world on the same team and still lose the World Cup because the character stuff influences the chemistry and that chemistry influences the ability to outplay the, the competency. So that's where the character piece goes deeply. So yeah, I, no, I totally agree, Dan. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to have a little uh, conversation right now about the England rugby team, but we've got to move on. Uh, now, again, just kind of we'll take a little bit, drill out a little bit again at the moment, and look a little bit at your wider leadership life and leadership involvement. Now, I know that one of the things you've been involved with for several years is hosting and organising the annual HTB Leadership Conference. Now, a lot of people listening to this would have heard of it, absolutely. Yeah. But for those that don't know about it. Give us a little insight into that conference. Who's it aimed at and why Why is it such a, a pivotal conference in the leadership life of, I suppose, the UK church and wider afield? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal um, gathering and um, it's happening for the first time in person since COVID next year uh, at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, so wow. again, I'd encourage people, you know, Google it and, and book on. It's, you know, it's a gathering of 5,000 leaders um, because because HTB is um, you know obviously uh, it's where Alpha came from. There's a there's a global network of emerging leaders who are who are leading in contexts in a diverse context across um, countries all over the world, all over the world. And then some of those you know representatives of each of those countries will come to that conference. So about two thousand of the delegates will be from a variety of different nations, a variety of different leadership contexts. Um, that's exciting, and then you gather in, you know, other, you know, hundreds of others from across Europe and the UK, and just filling the Albert Hall with five thousand leaders who are all intent on learning together is the most extraordinary experience. And it's set within a Christian context, so you know, there's worship and an opportunity to pray together, um, and that is very, very powerful in that you know iconic building right at the heart of London by Hyde Park to gather in um, and be in that context. It's the most inspiring two days. It's absolutely worth every penny of investment and of course um you know it was a privilege i worked with you know i was, I was on the team uh, hgb and on the senior team for a number of years and um loved that experience of you know being able to host and help plan and, and run the leadership conference um alongside nikki and pippa gumbel it was it was really um amazing opportunity and it's good because they draw in speakers from a variety of backgrounds contexts and cultures so again, you're getting a, a cross-section of leadership advice and thinking um, alongside a real, in, really inspiring faith experience where people are um, meeting meeting with God in very, very powerful ways. Um, I think one of my highlights was um, uh, having Simon Sinek there. So again, because it's in that kind of venue with that number of people, it's able to resource bringing in really speakers who are, you know, who um, amongst some of the best in the world around that leadership consultancy right. and sociological thinking. And it was great to host Simon. And he thought, uh, uh, you know, thought at such pace it was i actually had a headache after interviewing him we we did an interview on the main stage at albert hall with him and my, my wife sarah and i 
Um, he'd done a main session and then we did an interview and there was oh, two and a half, three thousand people watching. We did an hour and a half interview with him and it went just wow. like that. I mean, it felt like two seconds and we were creative in the way we did that. We got him doing all kinds of creative things. There's content online somewhere, probably through the Alpha website of that. But um, that was the most fascinating experience of just getting as much out of him as we could. Quite a, quite a creative um, uh even in a context of 3,000 people trying to design an interview that wasn't just Q&A, it was, there, was a, there was a whole load of stuff. We got him doing exercises. We got people up on stage. We moved around things. But, I, you know, he thought at such pace and had such an interesting array of perspectives that, yeah, by the end of that, that session, I had a splitting headache because I was trying to keep up. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a privilege to learn. And I, and I just want to learn all the time. I want to be in context where I'm stretched and I'm learning um, because there's always more. There's always more. And now you put me to shame, Pete, by saying I didn't just do Q and A, and I'm just doing a Q and A with you. <laughs> it's much harder no, online, I can tell you. <laughs> there's no creativity going on here. There's no whiteboarding. There's no. There's no brainstorming. Anyway, let's crack on with my boring questions. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but you know, and I think that the HCB Leadership Conference I know has personally impacted loads and loads of my friends and leaders that I know. So, and one of the things I love about it is that diversity of perspective and, yeah. you know, and divergent thinking rather than just that convergent thinking and just that kind of trying to get everyone to say the same message all the time, which I think, yeah. again, can be a real leadership challenge, particularly in a church context without sounding negative, but it can be, this is what we believe, this is the way we do things, so therefore this is what we're going to say time and time and time again. Yeah. So the people that are growth developing as leaders are effectively you're just reproducing the same cookie cutter kind of leader, whether that be in their character, chemistry, or competence. But yeah, love that. Now another big part of your um, of your leadership life is, and you mentioned it earlier, but it's Leadership College London. Now I was looking yeah. into that, you know, a little bit before. I know we've spoken about it before, but one of the one of your kind of strap lines is about um, LCL is all about connecting and shaping distinctively Christian leaders for all spheres of society. So tell us about, first, tell us about the college. And secondly, tell us about being a distinctively Christian leader, because that, I think it's a brilliant phrase. And the reason I think it's a brilliant phrase is because um, I'm involved with a number of networks and we're talking about Christian business and redemptive business and ethical business and Christian leadership. And you get lots of the Christians, right? We love a buzzword, we love a phrase, but a distinctively yeah. Christian leader is very descriptive for me. So, first off, tell us a little bit about the college, and secondly, what has been a distinctively Christian leader look like in the context of the college and and in leadership in general? Yeah, absolutely. So, we launched Leadership College London seven years ago, whilst I was at HTB, and um, again, HTB right. backed it and kind of launched it. Um, and essentially, it was a bit like, okay, you've done this with one life, um, all these young leaders, and can we do something that's that's for um, leaders that are going into career and and into you know way into career? Um, and so we we did that because we also recognised that we wanted to train and develop distinctively Christian leaders for every sphere of society, and lots of lots of training and development that went on in the Christian world was aimed at church leaders. So there's loads right. of theological colleges. There's loads of courses where you can grow in theology or church leadership and so on. There are not loads of places where you can say, I have a calling to politics or education or arts or entertainment or the sports industry or science. Or I have a calling in that place and I want to work out what it looks like to really engage uh, my faith in the way in which I work. Um, but also I want, to, I, I want to do a great job and I want to honor God in the process. 
And so Leadership College London is exactly that. We want to connect people who have got you know, passion to lead in different spheres of society and help strengthen them. So we build networks out of Leadership College London as well. There's like an arts and entertainment network where you'll get kind of globally renowned producers standing alongside um, you know, young people who are just starting their acting career and they're learning and sharpening on it off each other. Um, but also, um, more than just connecting, we then want to shape those leaders. And I, I feel a, a deep passion around saying, look, 95% of Christians are not going to be church leaders or leading in the church. They might volunteer or serve on a team, those kind of things. But actually, most of their output is in the workplace. And so we want to equip 95% of those Christians who, who are emerging into or sensing a calling in somewhere, some other avenue and say, look, we want to equip you to do that at, at, in heaven's way, in the best way possible, so that you can really become a person full of character. You can lead in a godly way and you can know that actually you are doing politics or business or education in a distinctively Christian way. And that takes some rigor. And so we... We kind of have designed courses that kind of draw on the best of psychology, the best of leadership consultancy, but also theology. So we're thinking through a theological grid to help train and develop distinctively Christian leaders and grappling with what that really looks like and how we do that. Um, and it's one, you know, it's just amazing to see. Um, we've taken about 700 leaders through courses so far, just over that, through a variety wow. of different kind of courses. Um, and um, it's amazing to see some of the fruit of that and, and just where people are now leading. Uh, we always celebrate, you know, some of these leaders get awards. Um, you know, one a recent sort of graduate got um, top 30 under 30 from Forbes um, as a CEO. Wow. So he's under 30. And, and, you know, great. He came as a, you know, in his 20s, emerging into career, establishing his own company, came to the years course with us. And now he's been identified by Forbes as one of the top 30 uh, CEOs that are under 30. Amazing. Um, another another um, person around LCL was uh, recently awarded Businesswoman of the Year, things like that. So we celebrate those things because we're saying you are smashing it and you're informed by theological thinking, the best in leadership consultancy, best in kind of understanding yourself. And you're not, not only connected to networks that are going to strengthen and support you throughout your career, but you're getting established and being trained as much as you possibly can. So that's our passion for Leadership College London. And I guess Brilliant. Behind that, just to finish that, is behind the thinking on that is that we really, really want to see like a kingdom mindset released across every sphere of society. If we're going to see culture shifted, um, we can't just invest in great churches. Um, we need great churches. And so we need brilliant church leaders. We need all of that. We need that. And they are, they are brilliant. But we have to resource distinctively Christian leaders and thinkers in that realm of politics and business and education, because all of these spheres are influencing and shaping culture. And so if we want to see the tide of, I guess, you know, a kingdom mindset, a tide of God's presence rising across the UK, I guess we're starting to talk in revival terms here. You've got to have people who are equipped to steward something of who God is and what he's doing in those spheres and how active he is in the business sphere, the art sphere and all this, and actually help them to do that really, really effectively. And that's what Leadership College London does. Fantastic. And how does, how does it work? How do the courses work? Um, yeah. you know set times online offline how, how does it look practically yeah so we do you know we do a range of things but two things to kind of highlight um, is we have a distinctive leadership course which is aimed that's aimed at all age groups of leaders so we have people who have even retired coming on that sometimes who they've done their whole kind of career but they're in, they're now in retirement thinking now I want to lead well and do this bit of my life well so the distinctive leadership course is a four-day program the next one's happening 
uh, next year in April, actually just in, in sort of the four days before the leadership conference happens, actually, so that people who are flying in from around the world for the conference could come in and do a four-day package there. So that's a four-day intensive, the Distinctive Leadership course. And we get again, we get have a sort of a global, a global grouping there because people come in from around the world. We also have the executive, um, executive um, program uh, in leadership and management. Um, and that is an, you know, an endorsed program that we run from Leadership College London um, that is aimed actually at people in their 20s and 30s. So basically leaders under 40 who are emerging into an establishing career. That's the kind of dominance of the conversation there. That program, the next one's launching in January and people can apply online if they want to. Um, we'd love to welcome people to come to that because we're passionate about equipping people to, do, to lead really well. And that, that's a course that is hybrid. So you could study with Leadership College London basically from anywhere if you're willing to get out of bed in the middle of the night, but anywhere within our time zone. Um, and so there are weekly sessions online um, in the evening because it's designed to go alongside your busy working lives. We don't want people to coming out of their career to study. We want to equip them as they're laying the track, as they're working this out. We want to be establishing some of the patterns and routines in that context. So there's like weekly e- evening sessions and then there are um, some in-person gatherings. There's two, three-day residentials in Hammersmith, where our London campus is, um, and uh, those are, those are kind of very strong on building the relationship, building the cohort, building the connections, helping people to really connect, so that the online experience also feels deeply connected and relational. Um, and so it's it, yeah, the next one launched in January, and. Uh, I know that I, I run the Leadership College London um, with a team uh, that are there as well, so obviously I'd speak well of it. But um, but those courses, it has been, has brought, it brings me immense joy to see people like getting equipped to do it well for decades to come, and the confidence that is rising in those co- cohorts and the connections that are made, and then how people are now are starting to get language and articulate their ability to lead exceptionally well, and then watching the promotions they go through, it's so exciting because you know finally feel like wow that we're you know for me one of my my hopes and dreams is that in years to come you know people around London and people around the UK will go where have all these leaders come from where, where have they all come from what's the link. And, uh, and, and then they start saying, well, there's these amazing leaders in education and arts and media and entertainment industry and politics and where have they all come from? And then they suddenly start looking to, you know, oh, why have they all got Leadership College London on their CV? And it's not because That's I want right. the name of Leadership College London to be known, but it's because I want people to be so deeply equipped that actually society's transformed, cities thrive. And, um, and we really see a turn of tide in our culture. I believe that's possible. We don't just have to look at the gloom and doom of our day and feel like the whole world's going down the pan and we're just coping until we get through it. No, no, let's get out there. Let's step into something. Let's lead in order that, that we can cause the significant transformation. That's, Christians have done that through the ages. It's our time now and we don't want to miss it. So um, that's what we were doing. That's why we want to equip people. Fantastic. And if so, if you listen to this and you're a leader and that's resonating with you, please go online, Google Leadership College London, and the next course starts in January. Now, thanks, Pete. You just just hearing the passion come through and just hearing the, the clarity. I think, you know, one, one of the things I'm loving about this this podcast is the clarity that with which you speak, not just around things from a theological perspective, but the application into someone's life and mm. and just the, the clarity around even the, the character, you know, enabling better performance or the character enabling a better holistic view on life, I think is so important because, again, mm. it's historically and traditionally it can be very one-dimensional. Leadership can be very, you learn from a book, you learn how to lead, you learn what to do rather than why you're doing it. And just hear a little bit about your heart and vision for social transformation and 
and and just you know knowing that the more leaders we empower and release into society, the more of God's kingdom will come in a very real and tangible way. So, yeah. no, thanks for sharing that. So, bit of a question. I'm going to ask you this. I don't really ask that many people this, but for someone who's such an expert on leadership, in your in your experience, are leaders born or made? <laughs> the age old question. There's a book that was published back yeah. in the 60s around that, I think. Um, That's right, yeah. Um, I think, uh, okay, I think I think the answer is a bit of both. I know that, that might sound like a, a compromise, but essentially it's both and. Um, I, I think that sometimes there are people who are born and they've got a natural, um, a natural kind of disposition towards leadership and influence. And again, when you look at the psychology of that, what's going on, I think there are sometimes innate things in people. And again, if we're going to think theologically through the grid there, um, let's just take Jeremiah example. You know, in Jeremiah chapter one, it says that God called Jeremiah before he was formed. And, and you know, that there was a calling over his life to lead and to prophesy into his, his generation. So he was one of the right. key leaders of his generation. And theologically, we would understand that he was called to that from even before he was born. So um, so in that sense, you're saying, oh, they are born. They're born. And so I agree with that. Um, I, um, I would absolutely stress, though, that leaders are made. And there right. is a formation right. that goes on. We are, we are Ulysses says, um, one of Ulysses' quotes is, I'm a mix of all I've met. And the sense is, actually, we are a mix of all the influences in our lives, and all of those influences actually bring to bear who we become and our contribution to life and society. And every single one of us are leading, whether you like it or not. And so actually, you are made into something, that's something, a person that is going to provoke and shape the environment you're in. And even if you sit back and say, I'm not a leader, I'm not a leader, even by saying that, you're influencing the environment. So if we were to take John Maxwell's thinking or definition of leadership, and lots of people have defined it like this. John Maxwell is one of them. Again, I had the privilege of spending time with him around the leadership conference. But you know, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And so at the, in a reality, there, there is a sense in which we are all influencing. And even our choice not to lead is influencing, perhaps in a negative way, to that room because you're not bringing to bear your gifts, the things that you've got to say, the things that you've got to bring. So I, rec- I think, you know, part of our job in leadership consulting is to re- help people recognize you, you have something to step into. You can grow, you can learn, you can develop. You may not be the most gifted leader the planet has ever produced, <laughs> if the planet produces it. I think God probably produces most of it. But um, <laughs> you may not be the most gifted, but then you can't be absolved from the responsibility of bringing some kind of influence. So, yeah, some people are absolutely gifted in a particular area. And we'd say that they are like, you know, let's go back to rugby again. Some people, are they're brilliant. They're amazing. They're playing for their country. They're going for it. And they're at the top. Does that mean that everyone else should stop playing rugby at grassroots level? No, no, because they've got something to bring at their grassroots level. In the same way, I think we can all learn to lead. We can all learn to grow. We can all learn to step into something. And so, yes, leaders can be made. I've seen some of the most extraordinary, um, unlikely people stepping into leadership and extraordinary things happening. And if you have rewind, they would have said, I'm not a leader, I can't do it. There's no way I've got not, I haven't got the capacity, I can't do it. I, I think of a, of a man called Tom Christmas, who established an organization called um, Just Love. Uh, and again, an amazing organization, and I've had the privilege of being on their advisory board. But Tom Christmas turned up at One Life conferences as a 14 year old, massively underconfident, had all sorts of dents and bruises in his life, would hardly speak. He could hardly hear when he when he when he spoke because he was very shy, very reserved, very contained. Um, and you know, through his experience at One Life, and I'm sure lots of others who invested in him, and lots of other places that kind of you know play part of his journey. 
when he was at university, he launched an organization, well, launched some social justice projects in the city where he was. That turned into an organization called Just Love. He then went full time on that when he left university. Just Love now operates in like dozen, you know, a couple of dozen cities around the UK. And there are thousands of students who are learning what it means wow. to influence and the difference they can make in the areas of social justice whilst they are studying. And as a result of it, a number of them go into politics or social justice areas or charitable work because they've been caught by this sense that they want to transform the world and shown how to do it. That all started with a 14-year-old boy who thought he can't, he can't do anything, can't do anything. Um, wow. So I, I absolutely committed to the concept that leaders are made and that we can all grow in the ability to lead. What an incredible story. Love that about Tom Christmas. It's brilliant. Talking about influence and, and, and you know, leadership, you know, and, and influence being so synonymous. Who's inspired you over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's, I'll say two people. There's so many. Um, one is my grandfather. We called him Bomper. Um, but he was, you know, quiet, understated, certainly not perfect. Um, because he can idealise people, can't he, sometimes. But he died recently. Um, it was a great loss to our family. He died at the age of 99. We all were, like, cheering wow. him on to 100, and we couldn't wait to... And he was like, I just don't want to get to 100. I'm tired. I'm done. So he was he was, he was was happier to finish the race, I think. But, um, but wow. he was a major loss for us, because he's done... He's made some bold decisions in his life, and he really stood by the values, um, you know, particular Christian values. You know, I would... If I was in his home, you know, I'd always see him late at night, sitting, reading his Bible, going back to the scriptures, uh, waking early. Um, uh, and he, he was just a, con- a constant um, who encouraged and um, inspired me with his life. And he did for many wow. years as well. So I think that just that quiet consistency, I really respect that. And I hope that I can be that for other people. Um, and that was, he was that to me. The other person who perhaps, you know, more popular and more known is someone called Chris Martin, who's the lead singer of Coldplay. Uh, he's been a real inspiration to me. I mean, I don't know him, but um, but I I, um, I love their music. And you know, again, you know, there's certain things about his life that inspire, and other things that you'd leave. But ultimately, I love the creativity in him. I love the the dynamic by which he he would hold a stadium. Um, and he's the most extraordinary performer, and thinker, and creative. I love his creativity. Um, I love his. I love the way that he thinks. In fact, I ended up doing a sermon series on Coldplay last year, and we did four parts on the, core of the songs of Coldplay. Yeah. So you know what th- what Coldplay and theology have in common, and we did this series. Um, actually, and as a result of that, I, I did get an invite from the band to go and be in their friends and family area at Wembley. It was, it was amazing. That whole that whole experience. Really? Was, yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> it was the most crazy experience, and um, and and I loved it. But but I just I. Partly, I think I'm inspired by the possibility of creativity to bring about change. And I think our creatives have a major part to play in bringing life to society right now. Absolutely. We're, we're, in, a, we're in, a, in a time in the world where we need our creatives and our artists to start describing hope again and to start describing that there's a possibility, there's something more. Um, and that's probably the key thing that I think Chris Martin does amazingly. And that's what, how they can sell stadiums out around the world because it offers something of hope and possibility and life and fullness that isn't the full picture, but he's doing it in a, in a beautiful way. And I, I'm inspired by that. Two very different people, but both yeah, inspirational. Totally. Yeah, amazing. Just um, interestingly, I read an article in uh, Christianity Today a couple of days ago um, with an interview with Bono talking oh, about yeah. very much along the same lines about how 
He was ridiculed in the church back in the 70s and 80s, how he was misunderstood. But his music or their music was about bringing gospel hope in, totally. into very dark situations and very dire situations, yeah. whether that be in yeah. Ireland or um, in South Africa, or they've stepped into real key moments with a message of hope, but in a creative way. And, and sometimes yeah. they said, you know, they've been often misunderstood or even ridiculed by traditional environments that have said, well, this is not Christian, it's not gospel. Yeah. And Bono said it is gospel, it's good news, it's hope, it's Jesus being revealed to people in a way that people That's right. wouldn't expect it or wouldn't traditionally receive yeah. it. So I think, you know, in many ways, maybe Chris Martin is very similar. Yeah, and I think my challenge to church leaders out there, I am one of them and I challenge myself on it, but is that we can be so insular in thinking that the only solution to the world is, is what's going on inside the four walls of our church. But actually, we've got to get serious about, about really building structures within the church that resource people to do better business, creative, media, arts. We actually have to take that really seriously, not just like occasionally pray for the world from a distance, but actually say, how are we going to build structures in our church that really release, release leaders into those spheres of society and then cheer them on? Because it's difficult, but they're actually speaking to an audience that are never in the church. So, you know, Chris Martin is, you know, I don't know, maybe a million people went to listen to them this, this summer in London. Um, and that's an incredible audience. Now, you know, he's he's not telling a, like a pure a purist gospel message, of course. Um, and I, he wouldn't himself profess to be a Christian, I don't think. But um, but you know, there's something about what they're doing that's communicating a very powerful message. And we can't just right. bury our heads in the sand and forget about it. We have to be influencing in the arts, influencing in media, and actually using different platforms in order to bring about that good news. So yeah, again, great respect for Bono and and you too. And and. In a sense, they they were trailblazing, you know, in that way, and I hope many others will do the same. A couple more questions, Pete. I've got. I'd love to talk to you for hours, but um, <laughs> how do you? Something you mentioned at the beginning, and you know, I think I think it's quite an important aspect of leadership. But how do you balance your personal life and your leadership life? Your sort of, per, you know, your public and your private leadership life, and more importantly, that even your your just your personal life, you know, in terms of family, friends. How do you how do you find that balance? Yeah, not easy for a start. I'm not, I don't want to lie and make it, make it sound like it's all perfect. It's not. And um, uh, one thing I am deeply thankful for is my family um, because I think they've actually probably stopped me from burning out. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like big ideas, visionary, optimistic, you know, that I'm all of these things and want to kind of change the world by, by now. You know, let's do it now. Um, and it's been wonderful to my incredible wife, Sarah, and, and my children have, have actually helped to probably anchor me it, um, I'm so thankful for that and have called me out on that sometimes around like, no, you're doing too much or you're, you're going too far or don't push at things. And um, you need people in your life who, who love you um, to keep a watch over you in those areas. And so that kind of accountability is really essential. Um, and it doesn't have to be a wife or whatever. You know, it can just be a good mate or whatever it is. You, know, you need to find people who you give permission to and will watch your life and call it out. Um, but, uh, you know, we've become... Uh, I've not always been good at it, but again, I've increasingly, I've become more and more ruthless. You know, so many of my friends, particularly in the church, you know, they skip their days off or, you know, they kind of you know, almost then celebrate like, oh, I've been working 14 days flat out. And, you know, almost like it's a badge, like, wow, look at me, I'm building the kingdom. But something somebody said to me years ago, um, because I used to do that, I used to do that, you know, and I, particularly in my 20s, I had a lot of energy. I loved what I did. Why would I stop? You know, I didn't even take my holidays. Come on, crack on, let's go and build this thing. You know, I didn't want to be away. I, um, and somebody said to me, you know, Pete, you cannot, you can't trespass the ways of God to do the works of God. 
And that has stuck with me for all wow. of my life because it's like, actually, if, if God rested on the seventh day, um, then, then there's, some, there's some kind of hallmark pattern that I need to understand from that. And um, even if I'm excited and I, all want to, and I want to do it forever, you know, I actually have to learn to rest. And so, you know, that happens in the everyday and also in the weekly. So we always like, here's a couple of things that I do. Um, I, I always try and take a day off. If I miss a day off in a week, um, that's, that's a problem. And I have to win that time back the next week. That happens less and less in my life. So I don't do that very often at all. But it does occasionally happen because life happens. But um, so I always have a day off. Um, I always make sure yeah, there's bandwidth things in my diary that are that, for me. So like that Monday morning slot. You know, it's not going to be taken by anyone. That's really important. So there's kind of rhythms that are more restful in my in my week as well as my day off. We'll always try and put a holiday in before the current holiday is over. So I know that the next slot I'm away for that weekend or I'm away for a week there and I'm trying to measure that through the year and I always take my holiday allowance every, every year. Um, we try and put in uh, a date night. Um, that has been really, really difficult for us in just in our family context. So date nights are often now at home and not going out partly because my job yeah. requires me to be out a lot in the evenings. But we've had to adapt to that. But again, we're, we're looking at our diaries, doing that all the time, and just building rhythms where there's flex and space. And then even things like, you know, the whole digital world, the online world. You know, I, we, I, never, I don't, don't take my phone up to the bedroom when we go to bed. You know, it's, it's off. And I'm increasingly trying to think, right, when it's settling time for the kids, my phone is downstairs. I'm, I haven't got my phone in my hand and my focus is on them. And, and those those kind of disciplines are really important for me. Um, I'll just throw in the last thing around Brilliant. that as well, is that I'm actually, I'm totally off social media now. Um, I'm, I'm, right. not in, I'm not in any spaces. I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't really interact with it massively. Um, but I don't do any of the other social media. And that's for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of those reasons is to do with bandwidth and space. I, I felt like there's too many communication platforms in my world that I can't keep up with. That puts stress on my life to try and keep up with things. I need to mitigate against that. And whilst many people are trying to build their profile and leverage their name and all those sort of things, you know, not that everyone does that on social media, but, you know, I, I just thought, I don't need to do that. And I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to do that. And actually, for me, everyone, will, you know, I don't think it's bad inherently. And I'm, it's wonderful if it works for people, go for it. But for me, it has built bandwidth into my everyday and my times of rest that I think has been really important for me. Um, it, it, it's, it's been one of the best things I've done in the last year. I've been off it for over a year now. And it, right. it has bought the headspace that means that I'm traveling at a better pace. Really interesting. And I think there's going to be many leaders listening to this that might be convicted by that. And actually, I, again, one just a quick reflection back. I love the fact that you, you're building very practical rhythms into your day, your week, and your life that are enabling that holistic kind of balance to come. And when it goes off balance, you've got the those checks and balances to bring it back. I think so many leaders, um, it's all or nothing. They crash and burn. You know, I'm all on yeah. and I'm all off. I'm going to have a month off here, then I'm going to come back and do 11 months straight or I'm going to work the next 14 days and I'm going to have three days off. But those three days off yeah. are so non-productive because you're so totally. tired, you're burnt out, your spiritual life is whack. You know, you, you just kind of, you're out of kilter and you're out of kilter with God's grace and God's rhythms. And, I think yeah. the, the, the more I grow in leadership, the more I realize that he, God's grace and his peace and his shalom is of such importance to him, you know. And, yeah, so I think thanks for sharing those practicals, Pete. And last question as we come to land. It's a question we ask most of our guests, but what's one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, don't don't try and uh, don't try and do everything that people ask you to do. Uh, and that's right. probably just, it's probably. I mean, there's some other people that might resonate with. That's definitely true for me. I, I have, I think, as a younger person, I was a big people pleaser. That's still a trait in me. Right. Uh, and um, and I'd almost feel guilty for not being able to meet up with my friends because they're all going out, or or do that 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 thing, or let's let's start this project because they're really passionate about this good cause. So let's do it. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So I'd say yes to yes to way too many things, and and ultimately yes to too many people which means that I would really not be operating at a good level and all the creativity would go out of me like we've just been talking about. And I think sometimes, you know, in my younger self, you sort of feel like I've got to keep up with all these opportunities and these open doors and the things that are asking. I've got to do it all and I've got to go on every trip. And, you know, I remember really weighing up, you know, I, I used to travel quite a bit and speak in other countries and do other stuff. And partly I really loved that and it was exciting and really good and and you'd sort of think, oh, if I don't go do that trip in the States, it might never happen again. And then I'll never get to go and sort of speak to those people. Or I'm over that now, you know, at, at, you know, the tender age of 44, like it, it's actually easier to say, I, I find it easier to say no to things. Um, partly because I've, I've, I have found myself too many times in, in locations around the world or in the UK. And I've stood there thinking, why am I here? I should be at home with my family or I should be at home building the thing that God's called me to build. I just said yes because this was exciting or somebody wanted me to do it. So I just bowed to that slight pressure. And I'm standing in this room and I'm surrounded by people that I'll never see again. And what am I doing here? Wow. And that experience happened to me too many times. And again, I don't always get it right. And I occasionally still find myself in rooms and I think, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Why have I said yes to this? Uh, and I've just learned that actually um, it's people aren't quite as let down as you think they're going to be when you say, I'm really sorry, I can't come. Brilliant. Love that. What a great way to end the podcast. Pete, you've, it's been absolutely incredible to spend this time with you. Thanks so much for your heart, your passion, your incredible insight, and just um, sharing your life amongst you know you know amongst the brilliant leadership stuff that you've shared. So, Pete Windsor, God bless you, bless your family. Hope you uh, recover from this cold pretty quickly, and uh, <laughs> have a great week. Thank you, Dan. It's been great to be with you. Wasn't that a great episode? And just before we finish today, we've got some things coming up which I wanted to let you know about. Firstly, we've got the wonderful summit coming up in March 2023. And that's an event bringing together Christian entrepreneurs, investors, creatives, innovators together in London for a one day summit, which is going to be absolutely brilliant. Now, for now, if you could just join the waitlist, which is at wonderfulsummit.com, register your details for more information. We'll have a number of other events coming up leading up to March 23, which we'll keep you updated about. But for all information, if you go to wonderfulleaders.com and register on the email list, you'll be kept up to date. As always, please do subscribe, share, and leave us a review. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. Mm-hmm.